0: What's up guys? This is Jacques. Welcome back to a bonus episode of Unpopular. I wasn't planning on doing two episodes this week. Uh, that's why I'm calling this one a bonus. But then Jen Shah was arrested and so many of you messaged me about it wanting my hot take on this hot mess. So here I am. I actually just got off the plane a couple of hours ago from my dad's funeral. Well, the funeral was yesterday, but then I flew back to Sydney today and I am so tired, I need to shower, I need to drink about 10 more ice lattes, but here I am in front of my computer recording a podcast about Gen But if I sound tired, that's why, because I didn't have much sleep, just because it was like a really quick trip, and you know what flying's like, it's a freaking, it's an ordeal. Actually, you know what? Let's recap the funeral first. We'll do a double whammy, a funeral recap and a Jen Shah arrested recap. And if you want to skip the personal stuff at the start, uh, just check the show notes. I will put the starting point of a Jen Shah if you want to, like, skip all of this, which I totally understand. Thanks to everybody, first of all, who sent me well wishes and condolences. It was actually pretty funny because some of you were, like, terrified to reach out to me and message me. You thought I was going to, like, bite your head off or something because I was bitching about my high school friend on last episode I actually do not have a problem getting condolences I just didn't want them all like on the day that it happened especially from like randoms that I went to school with but obviously like a week later after I've already talked about it on my podcast and everything it's fine so I appreciate everyone that reached out you guys were so nice And so many of you donated to my Buy Me A Coffee page or you went and wrote me like a really nice podcast review. Uh, Look, I'm loving the sympathy, I'm not going to lie. Loving these detailed reviews that just praise me and talk about how great I am. I love it. Thank you to Lorraine, Emily, Katie, Vicky, Sarah, Susie, you know, everyone that reviewed and uh, bought me coffee. Like, sorry if I missed anybody, um, but not everyone left their name, but I definitely noticed it all and I appreciate it. Alright, let's get to the funeral. First of all, flying is the worst, okay? I always forget how much it sucks until it's time to like go to the airport, and then when I get there, I'm like, fuck my life, like, it's about to be a situation. Because I brought my ticket like so last minute, I was allocated a middle seat, which is a living hell for someone like me. I always take the aisle seat because I'm so tall, so, I'm in the middle seat, hating life. And then I realized that the two people, either side of me, are actually a couple. I guess that, like, she wanted the window seat and he wanted the aisle seat. And as soon as I figured it out, like, the plane hadn't even taken off yet, I was like, oh, are you two together, like, I can move. Like, I was trying to act like I'm trying to do them a favor or something. And She was just like, oh, no, it's fine. So, I'm like, okay, great. Like, now I'm stuck in the middle. Uh, And then they both ordered food and alcohol, and it was literally a two-hour flight. A two-hour flight and you're ordering food and booze? Are you kidding me? Like, just eat McDonald's in the food court before the flight like a normal person. Like, why would you order food on such a tiny flight? It's just like, gross and annoying. And we were on a budget airline, so it was pretty cramped as it is. Like, I'm sure you can go two hours without a sausage roll and a beer. Like, you're not a newborn baby that needs feeding every couple of hours. You are very old and you need to act your age, as Nini would say. Speaking of babies, yes, there was a screaming baby directly behind me on this flight and a rowdy toddler. So, it was a two-for-one special I honestly felt like I was in a Seinfeld episode. It was that bad. I was just sitting in my chair, fuming, trying to chill out. Thank God for my AirPods Pro, which have amazing noise cancellation. I would have been fucked without them. They were a lifesaver. At first, I put on the new Lana Del Rey album to, like, drown it out, but it was too soft because you know what her music's like. So then I, like, switched over to the new Rob Zombie album, and that was, like, noisy enough to drown out the baby. Anything to, like get rid of the screaming. When I heard that baby crying, I was like, oh my god, if I was a parent, I would do the old, like, dummy in the whiskey bottle. (laughs) Nai nai. Anyway, the flight finally arrived, late might I add, and the funeral service was at 6pm. My flight didn't arrive until well after three, and then I had to wait in, like, a COVID line for, no joke, about an hour. And, like, I'm in this- I'm in this freaking ridiculous, you know, COVID processing line about an hour. And then when you get to the COVID desk, all they do is ask you about maybe like three questions or something. They're just like, oh, have you had symptoms in the last month? Have you traveled to a hotspot? And then they just okay you. It takes about it's a, it's about a 30-second interaction. And I'm like, really, I waited in line for an hour for just a 30-second, like, high and bye to get in the state. And we don't even, like, have many COVID cases here. It's pretty much dead, except for, like, Brisbane, which we were very far away from. Like, surely there is an easier way to do this. Like, Can't you just, like, fill out a form online that gets pre-approved? Well, actually, we do have to do that, and I did do that. And then they basically re-asked me the same questions there. So annoying. I swear, like, when I was waiting in that line, I was getting ready to have my, like, anti-masker Karen moment. Like, I don't even care about the restrictions usually, like, I haven't had a problem or pandemic, but I was in that line after that flight with the baby, and I was ready to snap and just do a whole, like, you know, you're infringing on my freedom, stop 5G, COVID is the Illuminati like I was about to go viral on Facebook for having a Karen meltdown anyway I get to my hotel and I had to rush to get ready because I was only there for like one night like I literally the funeral was yesterday so I flew in like the day of and then I left this morning so it's just like a one night and all I packed was one suit it was a blazer and pants and I was gonna wear it with this black t-shirt that I wore on the flight and this suit is like very colourful, okay? (laughs) It's very flamboyant. I actually bought it years ago when I was a when I was uh, auditioning for Married at First Sight because I wanted to stand out in the audition but then at the last minute I didn't wear it because I didn't want to seem like I was like trying too hard and I'm like, you know what I'll dress down for the audition so it's more just like chilled and I can just be like you know, more myself. Anyway, it's been in the closet since then and then I was thinking, you know what, it'll be fun to like whip out this suit for the funeral you know, add a little flavour to the funeral service you know, jazz it up a bit. So that was all that I packed. So I put it on in the hotel room and honestly, I look fucking ridiculous. Like, it was so over the top that I would have needed to be, like, full glam to pull off this suit. Like, I would have needed, like, my hair done and all of this stuff. And I was, like, unshaven, wearing my glasses, sweaty from a flight. Like, it just did not mesh together. And the blazer barely fit because of the COVID pounds I put on. Like, the fabric was struggling to contain my upper body. And you know what? My t-shirt was actually a bit tight. And now I've got a COVID dad bod going on. So, I was like, okay, so I have to choose between looking skinny fat in this too small t-shirt, or I have to look like I escaped from the circus in this stupid multicoloured suit. And that was the only two options I had for the funeral. And it's like... I had to leave in, like, 20 minutes or something. So, look, I decided on the T-shirt because I didn't really want to attract a ton of attention anyway. I don't know what I was thinking, like, even packing it in the first place. Because as soon as I got there, I'm thinking, like, I don't even want, like, people looking at me. I don't know why I was like, like, you know, I'm going to come in the funeral and have a fashion moment. Anyway, um, so I was dreading the funeral, honestly, and I was just thinking, like, God, I hope people won't be staring at me for my reaction. Because, you know, I'm the closest relative there, and it's like... When you are at a funeral, honestly, I mean, this has been my experience with funerals that I've attended. You definitely look towards, you know, like the grieving wife or the grieving children or whatever, because they're usually at the front and you're in the back and then you kind of like look for their reaction. And I was like, now I'm going to be that person because I was the closest one. So, I just told myself, don't cry, just keep it together, get it over with and just, you know, try and enjoy the positives. Because sometimes funerals and wakes, like, they can be, you know, fun, for lack of a better word, because, you know, it's a celebration of the life and it's, you know, it's a good vibe. So I was just like, let's just hope it's that. So I get there like one minute before six when it starts and it was a really small service, like mm, 15 or 20 people at most, because my dad had banned about 90% of our entire family. So I sat at the back uh, behind people so I'd kind of have my own space. And like I said, I didn't want like, you know, eyes on me. I'd already said that I didn't want to do a eulogy and I actually think I only knew about two people there closely, and everyone else I'd met, you know, maybe once, like, briefly. So, the first guy got up to do a eulogy. He was some old friend of my dad's that I didn't know. I'd never met him before. And as soon as he got up there, he was like, I'd like to honour the original owners of the land, you know, the whatever tribe. And, like, as soon as he opened with that, I was like, this is going to be one long-ass fucking eulogy. So, I'm just sitting there and honey, it was. Like, he put on dinner, a show, an after show, an encore. Like, this guy was up there for a long time. He was singing some soccer anthem from my dad's favourite team. He handed out pieces of wood that he'd cut off a tree that were, like, supposed to represent my dad or something. He read out my dad's poetry, because my dad had a poetry book published, like, way back in the day, and not just one poem from the book, about four, and one of them was very, very long. The one time during the service I almost cried was during the poetry reading because I'd totally forgotten that my dad had actually written a poem about me when, I don't know, I was a baby or a toddler. And I think this was before he got sober and it was about how he was, like, visiting me and then he left on a bus to the next city and how hard it was for him. And I actually hadn't read that poem in, I don't know how long? Like, I can't even remember the last time I would have read it, because I don't own a copy of the book at home. Like, I have it, I don't know, it's at my mum's or something like that, you know, packed away in a box or something. I'd forgotten all about it, and then as soon as his friend was, like, up there and started reading poetry, I'm like, he's gonna read that fucking poem about me as a baby. And I didn't want to get upset in front of these random people, so I just used all my energy and focus to, like, keep it together during that part, which was tough. But after that, everything was fine. And it was funny listening to people's stories and being reminded of, like, how similar I am to my dad. Like, this one guy, I can't remember who it was because there are a few different eulogies, but one person said how they were telling a funny story about how my dad wanted to watch the footy, but it was playing on Foxtel, which is, uh, if you're listening from America, that's, like, our um, cable you know, pay TV service, right? And Foxtel's owned by Rupert Murdoch. And my dad hates Rupert Murdoch, so my dad sat in another room and watched the footy on some, like, choppy illegal stream that he found on his iPad, even though it was literally playing crystal clear on the TV in the next room on Foxtel. And when they told that story, I was like, oh my god, because literally last week, right, I was saying to myself, like, I'm never buying anything from Amazon again, like, Jeff Bezos is a cunt, you know, he can't stop his workers from unionising, so I was like, that's so funny, like, clearly I get my personality from my dad, because those are pretty much identical things. Anyway, the highlight of the service, right, was this, I tweeted about this, by the way, so if you follow me on my personal Twitter account, um, you would have seen this, but the highlight of the night was this drunk woman that stumbled in late to the service. She had to be, I don't know, maybe around like 50. She was dressed like a... She had on this super short white mini dress with thigh-high slits on both sides, like lots of jewellery, these like tacky, chunky wedges, like Kmart wedges. It was a real mutton dressed as lamb moment. As soon as she stumbled in and I saw her, I was like, okay, here we go, like, this is going to be a good one. First she got up to pee during one of the eulogies, probably because she'd been boozing it up all day, and the toilet wasn't that far from where the service was being held, because it was, you know, it wasn't like a church, it was like a small funeral home, And honey, she went to the bathroom, there was no soundproofing in this bathroom, and it sounded like fucking Niagara Falls coming from the bathroom in there. So one of my dad's friends is up there, like, sharing some, you know, heartfelt, you know, memories about my dad, and then all I can hear is torrential flooding coming from the toilet, then she comes out eventually, and as the eulogies are wrapping up, she decides that she wants to get up and speak. So she stumbles up to the pulpit and she announces that she wants to read a poem that she wrote. And because she was so drunk, she couldn't actually find it. So she's like up there, like rummaging through her purse, and then she's rummaging through some notebook and she's like mumbling to herself. And I'm like, oh God. And then eventually she finds it and she reads it out. And honestly, I can't even repeat the name of this poem to you because it was so bizarre that I I would feel even weird just saying it out loud. It was the, the weirdest thing you can think of. Really gross. Very dark, poorly written, and completely unrelated to my dad or the sentiment of the day. Um, this woman <laughs> clearly has some demons that she's been uh, battling, and it's coming out in her amateur poetry. And honestly, I'm not surprised she's an alcoholic, because if you read that poem, you're like, okay, this- this woman's been through a lot in life. Uh, and I was kind of living for it, honestly, because it was, like, just so inappropriate and funny and, like, a hot mess. And if this was a more formal funeral, like... I can imagine the family members being mortified, like, security. Uh, so, after the service, like, I was trying my best to avoid chit-chat with people, but, you know, everyone was coming up to me and giving me a hug, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, etc. all of that, and I'm like, you know, oh, thank you, thanks for coming. Uh, and then this woman comes over, and I lied, and I'm like, oh, my dad would have loved your, <laughs> loved your poem, even though he actually would have fucking hated it. And uh, then I'm like, oh, so how did you know my dad? And she was like, you want to know a secret? (laughs) I fucked him when I was 16 in Darwin. And I was just like, well, I'm sure you're not the only one here who fucked him, so you're in good company. Uh, And then she told me she'd been drinking all day, and I'm just like, no shit, like, clearly. So, I went to the wake afterwards at my dad's house, which he shared with his partner. And I was actually so close on bailing on the wake because I was really tired from the flight. And I didn't want to have to like smile politely while 15 people told me how much I look like my dad. But I went anyway and I went through his stuff because I just wanted to, you know, take some things home for sentimental reasons. So, you know, I grabbed a book of the poetry so I'd have my own copy. And I was going through, you know, old photos and, you know, some of his jewelry, just, you know, bits and pieces to take with me. And then I hit the mother load, which is the cancer medication. It was like, hallelujah, when I saw that. There was an entire large box of every prescription painkiller you can imagine. It was a party in there. I was like, oh my God, I was like digging through, like I'm digging for gold, like trying to find like Valium, like, you know, all the good stuff. And- To be honest, I would have taken the whole pharmacy back to Sydney with me if I could, but I was scared of travelling with prescription drugs that I don't have a prescription for, so I actually only took one thing. I can't even remember what it was called, but I'm confident that I will be getting a few very good nights sleep in the coming weeks. So anyway, let's get into Gensha, shall we? So, Jen Shah, the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, has been arrested for fraud, and she's facing between 10 to 30 years in the slammer, and I'm gloating a little bit, I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) I'm not happy that a mother is going to jail, that is a tragedy, and honestly, not funny, and taking pleasure in that makes you a psychopath, but... Purely on a petty level, my ego loves knowing that I was right about this nut job all along, while the rest of the Bravo fan accounts were like, Yes, Queen, Jen Shah is an icon, we stan. It was only a very small handful of us that called bullshit on Jen from the jump. The only thing that I regret is that I didn't actually go harder on her in the beginning, because I was purposely holding back a little bit because my podcast was still new and I was finding my groove... So, I would always be like, oh, she's thirsty and ridiculous, but, I mean, she seems like a nice person. Like, I was trying to give her the benefit of the doubt when I really should have just been, like, all-in savage like I usually am. One thing that I have learned from doing the podcast for a few months now is just to, like, not hold back and say what I'm feeling in the moment. Even with Kelly Dodd, for example, I'm not going to do the whole oh, Kelly Dodd is so offensive and I don't agree with her opinions, but, you know, I want her on the show just for the drama. Like, I don't need to add a qualifier anymore. I like Kelly Dodd. I want her on the show, period. That's it. You know, I was more sensitive to this stuff when I started the podcast, but I've just been, like, worn down now by the never-ending Bravo outrage cycle, and I just don't even have the energy to be measured about this stuff anymore. You know, I just checked Twitter before, and there were all these tweets calling Margaret on New Jersey racist now for fighting with Jennifer Aiden, and all these other people were, like, piling on. I'm just like, oh, I cannot be bothered anymore with this. It's just like the boy who cried wolf. I'm over it. I like who I like. I hate who I hate. And that's what it's going to be, and I should have been tougher on Jensha from the jump because I knew she was a thirsty con woman from the moment I watched the screener of the Salt Lake City premiere. Actually, I would say even before that, as soon as I saw her activity on Twitter and Instagram before the show had even premiered, I'm like, I can see where it's going with this girl, but she was getting so much attention. And I think this was actually before i had even started my podcast. Uh, I followed her and she followed me back and I DM'd with her a little because she DMs with everybody. And I was trying to kind of like line up guests for when I did launch the podcast. And I was like, oh, I would love to interview you. Like, I was just kind of like, being nice because I had the podcast coming out. And then after a few episodes of the show, when she was just so awful, I just stopped messaging with her because I'm like, well, I can't be fake because I can't stand her and I don't really want to interview her. And I'm like, I'm not going to be like some lame Stan that's like still kissing her ass, even though she's like completely ridiculous. So then I backed off. But anyway, let's just get into some of these Jen Shah charges and then I will give you my thoughts. I'm not going to do like a deep, deep dive on the legalities of this just because it's so complex and complicated and it would literally take me like pouring over documents for hours and hours to cover this. And as you know, this is sort of like a last minute show, but I just want to give you the cliff notes so you kind of like know what's up and then you can just jump on Google if you want to like get down to the nitty gritty of it all. So, Gensha was arrested for conspiracy to commit wire fraud through telemarketing and conspiracy to commit money laundering. Now, this is some really, really serious shit. The crimes span multiple cities and states, and it goes back years and years to, like, 2012, I think. And to make it even worse, they largely targeted people over the age of 55. So, Jen Shah was scamming the elderly, because old people are the only ones who really going to answer calls from telemarketers anymore, I think. So, all those tacky, like, Chanel outfits and, like, fake Versace and stuff, that was funded by Granny and Grandpa. My understanding of this is that Jenshaw's company would generate lead lists, which is like a list of names and phone numbers. And then Jen and her people would target these people on the list with fraudulent business opportunities and then take the money and run. They would also sell the lead lists that they generated too to like other companies so other companies could scam, which is pretty common. I've actually had like my phone number, right? I've had the same number for I don't know, over 10 years for sure, long, long time, maybe even since I was a teenager. And there was this one time in my early 20s that I had no money or phone credit and I used a text messaging service online to send free text messages. I probably was like messaging my mum to like put some money in my account until payday or something, but I had to enter my phone number into this website like to do it. And ever since then, I've been targeted by telemarketers and scammers like literally for for 10 years, it hasn't stopped. They clearly took my details and they just sell it to different businesses to target me with scams because I block all of the numbers from them. And even though I block the numbers, it's like there's new ones constantly. Um, and my email as well. They do the same with one of my old email addresses that I don't use that much anymore. I'm always getting like scams sent to it. So I feel like Jensha must have done something similar to that with her, like selling these lead lists to God knows who. Now, it's not just Jen that's been arrested. Also, her assistant, Stuart, who we saw on the show, the assistant is this, like, middle-aged guy. We saw him on one or two episodes where Jen was being a diva, and she said that he was, like, her number one assistant who does everything for her. I remember there was a scene of them in the car together driving, and she was like, would you buy me packs or something? So, that guy was actually, like, her co-conspirator. They were in the scam together, but interestingly, Coach Shah doesn't seem to be involved. I want to see how this plays out, because it's kind of like with Tom Gerardi and Erica Jane, because we're all trying to understand, like, did Erica know where that money was coming from and was she involved? And now I'm like, have the same questions for Coach Shah. Was he in the dark or did he know? Did he just think that she had a legitimate job? Mmm, pretty suspicious. I just always knew that something was up with Jensha's wealth. I definitely said something about it early on in the podcast. I said that her Shah squad weren't real and that she could never afford that in real life. Um... We do know that her ski house, the Shah Chalet, was rented, so even though she was bragging like she owned that house, it was, you know, rented for the show, and I was told pretty early on in the season, people got in my DMs, because I was sort of, like I said, I was like one of the first people that was like outspoken about Jed Shah, people went in my DMs and were like, that Shah squad, it's her cousins and other family members, you know, it's all fake for the show. My theory was just that she was probably in heaps of credit card debt and that eventually she would file for bankruptcy after going broke to bankroll her lavish lifestyle for reality television, which is probably true, but I, you know, I bet that we'll find out soon that she's in serious debt and all of that, but I just didn't predict that on top of that she would also be running a huge telemarketing fraud scam. Now, there's a lot more to this story, okay? So, I've skimmed a few things Uh, Again, I don't have time to, like, just break it down, like, bit by bit, but this goes really, really deep. Like, this is not a surface-level situation. I'm sure over the coming weeks there's going to be people that are going to, like, do the deep dives and, like, give us this whole story, but the simplest way that I can explain this right is that... Jen has been working at this company called Prosper Inc. since 2006, and she's climbed the ranks over the years. So, Prosper worked with all of these famed life coaches and marketing gurus, you know, like the types that sell these, like, self-help books, um, you know, how to get rich, and they hold expensive seminars, like those types of people. A bit like Tony Robbins, but obviously not that level, sort of like Tony Robbins wannabes. And, you know, like uh, Manifesting Miracles, The Hundred uh, Ways That You Can Get Rich, books like that. So, Prosper ran a boiler room, allegedly, which, a boiler room, if you don't know, it's like a high-pressure, cold-calling business, and they usually sell shoddy products and services, and it's like those really aggressive telemarketers that contact you out of the blue when they're trying to, like, force things on you. That's what a boiler room is. So, these telemarketers, they would cold-call people, and they would sell them these courses from these spiritual marketing gurus, but it was a scam. And, again, from my understanding, I apologise if I'm getting, like, bits and pieces wrong because there's so much to this and this is a last minute episode but the telemarketers would like change the cost of the course depending on how much money you have so they'll call you up they would sweet talk you again they're calling older people and they would find out your financial status and then you know depending on how much money you have or what kind of credit cards you have like they would sell the courses to you for how much money they think they could get out of you. And this goes even deeper, because Prosper Inc. has ties to Trump University and Mitt Romney, who is a senator and a former presidential candidate from Utah. So, this is really deep. I'm not going down that rabbit hole, but I mean, I think there's so much is going to come out of this. I think Jen Shah is like, we're just scratching the surface with Jen Shah. Now, with Jen being arrested, I haven't seen Prosper's name showing up in the report, so I'm wondering if, like, did Jen and her assistant, did they just, like, use the scamming skills that they learned from working at Prosper, and were they running, like, their own side hustle scheme, like, selling these lead lists and everything, or... Maybe Prosper is involved, and I've just missed it. Like this is really complex already, and I'm not good with this. <laughs> I'm not good with these like legal things. That's why I also haven't gotten like right into Erica Jane. Like I, uh, I need someone to come on and kind of like explain when these like legal cases happen. I was watching some news reports about this on YouTube and I believe that Jen's defense is going to be to like feign ignorance and act like she didn't know that they were selling dodgy products which I guess is a similar defense that Erica Jane is going to do by saying that she didn't know where Tom was getting all of his money that funded her lavish lifestyle and again from my understanding if Jen can't wriggle out of this by pretending she didn't know what they were doing she's completely fucked uh And if it goes to trial, they have to improve intent to commit fraud from her to, like, bust her. So, it's all going to depend on, like, can they prove that she was, like, knowingly committing fraud? And if they prove that, it could be, like, 10 to 30 years in jail. Now, the good news is that she was arrested while they were filming. So, we're going to see it all play out on Season 2 of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Bravo cameras were also at the court when Jen appeared later that day. So, I mean, they're documenting it all. Oh, my God. So fucking juicy. When she was arrested, they were on, like, a cast trip or an outing somewhere. She got tipped off while they were filming. So, she made an excuse. I think she pretended that she had a relative in hospital or something. And then she hightailed it out of there. She fled the scene and then she was pulled over shortly after. So, I'm wondering, like... Did Bravo have her on the mic? Was she hot-miked when she got that phone call? And we're actually going to hear her lying, and then we're going to see her, like, drive off? I mean, so juicy. And then, depending on how long they filmed for that day, we might actually get all the women reacting to the news in, in, like, real time, because- This is kind of a trope of Housewives when, like, a scandal about one of the other cast members breaks, we'll always see the reaction of, like, all the women in their home and then they, like, you know, they pick up their phone and they pretend to be shocked at a text. Like, those scenes are obviously fake because the bravo cameras are not just going to be filming every single woman simultaneously while they're just like pottering around the house doing nothing. So that's all set up, but I'm wondering if we're actually for once going to get a real genuine in the moment reaction because that is just going to be like incredible television. And as much as I thought the first season of Salt Lake City was pretty bad, which it was and a lot of people a lot of people have now messaged me since going oh my god, you were so right about Salt Lake City. But the reunion was actually great. I think most of us really liked Liked the reunion, and I did say that I was expecting season two to be good just because the reunion was like pretty explosive and there was a lot of like simmering tensions, and it was just you could tell they were going to really like come out the gate with a lot of drama for season two. And now, with this whole like Jen Shah thing thrown in, like this is going to be epic. The only concern that I have is that it's like it's just going to be a whole season of Jen Shah and nothing else, which obviously, this amount of stuff going on with her would be enough for a whole season but of course like you know for the show to be like truly great we want to see like a variety of stuff we don't want it to just be like first with the videos leaking of jen char abusing her employees and then with this whole court thing like obviously we want to be seeing stuff between like heather and mary and lisa and you know the whole gang the housewives franchise really needed this and they needed the erica jane case too because you know, at first I thought I was just being a hater by complaining about the franchise a lot, which, you know, clearly I have been. But I've been getting, like, so many messages from you all, like, people agreeing. Like, on Twitter, in my DMs, people are like, yeah, it's just not that good anymore. And people, even the people that, like, still refuse to watch anything besides Bravo, I noticed that they're just kind of, like, re-watching old seasons of The Housewives instead of, like, really catching up on the new stuff. So, it isn't just me, and I feel like these mega scandals are good for just reeling us viewers back in, because even if you were feeling like, you know what, I'm going to skip the next season of Salt Lake City or Beverly Hills, like, now you're going to tune in because you want to see, like, what it's like with Erica and Jen Shah. One of the, like, most amazing things about all of this is that Jen Shah was so fucking thirsty to be on TV- that she did The Real Housewives, one of the most invasive reality shows ever, which is notorious for putting all of your business out on Front Street. She did this while running a telemarketing scam, so she knowingly risked going to jail to be famous. She risked being separated from her children and her husband for potentially decades just to be on television. How sick is that? There will never ever ever be anybody thirstier in the history of this show than jen Shah? like this is a whole new level of thirst this dwarfs jill zarin and uh, fucking vicky gumbelson and nene leaks like this is just another stratosphere of thirstiness that you would destroy your life just to be on the fucking housewives of salt lake city which doesn't even have good ratings (laughs) Oh, there's just not one nice thing to say about this woman, is there? Like, we've seen how violent and irrational she is on the show with her hysterical, like, mood swings and, like, throwing glasses. We've seen her abusing her employees in those leaked videos, which was just disgusting. Um, we saw how she disingenuously and, like, knowingly weaponized her race against her white castmates to try and make them look racist at the reunion. And she's just the fucking worst. The worst. Uh, I'm just curious to see if she's going to still pretend that she's black now that she's facing time in prison, because we know that she had the Rachel Dolegiel action going on, she loved to pretend that she was a black woman when she is not, she is Hawaiian, and I just think that all of these sassy Nene Leakes affectations that she was like putting on in her confessionals and the finger snapping and the head swivelling – that is going to vanish overnight. I saw her wearing braids the other day. I think the braids are going to vanish. It's going to be like straight black hair. Anyway, good luck, Jen and Bravo. Um, just please keep those cameras rolling because I want to see every moment of this. Okay, that's enough for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in for this little bonus episode. Again, thanks for all the condolences and well wishes. Remember, you can follow me on social media, Unpopular JP on Twitter and Instagram. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com slash UnpopularJP. Is there anything else I have to let you know? I think that's it for the outro, right? I think so. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Bye.